been going through the book of Luke now for three years. And these final four chapters, we're in the final four chapters, but these final four chapters are going to go through next May. These final four chapters are all about his last week here on earth. So imagine that. We're going to, for another series of months, just be focused on his last week on, here on earth. Why? It was the most important part of his life where he did what he really came to do. But we're already in it. We're in it now, that last week of his life on earth. In fact, the passage that we're looking at today, get this, takes place on Wednesday. And by Friday, he will be crucified on a cross like a common criminal. But at this point in our passage on Wednesday, there are still two very different groups of highly emotional people when it comes to Jesus. At this point, nobody's neutral. You either love him or you hate him. The first group was the crowd or the common man. You see, he had captured the attention of the common man who still hangs on his every word. Because they think he just might be the Messiah. This is the one we've been looking for, hoping in, waiting for, and reading about in our Old Testament. It looks like he could be the one. But the religious leaders, on the other hand, have heard more than enough. As he has begun to rail against them and even call them out by name. So that their rage against him at this point has reached a fever pitch. They hate him and want to eliminate him. Why? Because he keeps exposing them and dismantling the falseness of the religious system that they protect and promote so tenaciously. And so they come up with a plan. They come up with a plan to trap him with a question that they think will put him in a no-win situation. A question that will either marginalize him and destroy his popularity with the people or will cause Rome to crucify him and destroy his very life. Either way, it's a win for them. And it all depends on how he answers this question. And so it should come as no surprise that like today, the most contentious, divisive, hot button question was a political one. Turn with me to Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 47, Luke 19, verse 47. I'm grabbing the end of 19 so that you can get some context again to see the mood of these two very different groups. Luke 19, verse 47. And he was teaching daily in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people. That's the who's who. These are the people that run it and rule it and have positions of power and authority. They were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his words. Skip to chapter 20, verse 17. Here's an example. Peter preached it last week. Here's an example where he's calling them out by name now. 
He's not, he's not being evasive. Chapter 20, verse 17, but he looked directly at them, not the crowd, chief priests, scribes, principal men, and said to them, what then is this that is written? He's going to quote Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush them. They did not miss what he was saying or who he was talking to. Because look at verse 19. The scribes and chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour. For they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said. Now watch this. This is, this is insightful so you'll know what they're up to and what they really want. So as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the government. You realize one, one of the things that Rome held close to its chest was the right to execute. No one else had the right for the death penalty. So they're hoping Rome will do it for them. If they can get him to publicly say something that sounds like insurrection, Rome will do their dirty work for them. Verse 21, so they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak in truth, teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Look at me. This is all smoke and mirrors. They don't for a minute think he's from God. They don't think he teaches the way of God. They don't think he is the son of God. They hate him. This is flattery. Verse 22. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness. Often when we're reading about Jesus, not always, Luke has a few parables and encounters that he's the only one that does it. But in this case, we have Matthew 22 and we have Mark 12 that also record this incident. And so Luke says, but he perceived their craftiness. Matthew 22 says, but he knew their malice. They hate him. They want to destroy him. Mark says he saw their hypocrisy, craftiness, malice, hypocrisy. And so he said to them, show me a denarius. He holds it up. Whose likeness? And inscription, does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. And one of my favorite statements happens next. You'll see it all through all four Gospels. And they marveled. Why? Because he is a marvel, you guys. He's amazing. He's amazing. And they marveled at his answer and became silent. What can we take away and put into practice today from this passage? Number one. Here's the first thing I want you to get. Number one, don't do to Jesus what he refused to do to himself. Don't do to Jesus what he refused to do to himself. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Look at the question again in verse 22. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? 
Oh, listen to me. You need to understand when they ask him about giving tribute to Caesar, they are stirring up a hornet's nest and they are hoping he will step right in it because they are not asking about taxes in general. If you ever thought, well, it's about whether you should pay your tax or not. That's not what they're doing. They're not asking about taxes in general. They are asking about a hated hot button, controversial, divisive annual poll tax that every Jew was required to pay, get this, for the privilege of living in the Roman Empire. Now you think for a minute how much that must have chafed them. They didn't want to be in the Roman Empire. Rome had conquered them and they hated it. They were an occupied land. They were oppressed by the heavy hand of Rome. Do you realize Roman soldiers roamed the streets of their city? And you can read about it in secular accounts. It was a law. Any Roman soldier could walk up to any Jew at any time and require them to stop what they were doing and carry his load for a mile. Then you got a mile to go back to where you were and start doing what you were doing. Can you imagine how humiliating and inconvenient that was? So get this. Their resistance to this tax is not about the money. It's simply a denarius. A denarius was one day's wage for a, the poorest day laborer. It's not about the money. It is about, this is Rome rubbing it in our nose and pouring salt on the wound. And we hate it. We hate it. We hate it. It was a tax so hated and hotly debated that there were regular revolts. You can read the secular history. They didn't go long without another revolt where some man would rise up to resist this very tax. But Rome would swoop in and crush it. Two things that Rome held dear to itself. The right to execute, and guess what else? Pax Romana. That's P-A-X, that's Latin. The peace of Rome. They were proud of the fact that this empire is peaceful and controlled. That's why all through the Gospels, you know, whenever they wanted to intimidate Pilate, they would try to say, he stirs up the people. To Every leader was terrified that a revolt or chaos would happen on his term, and you are out. Rome prized the peace of Rome and our roads and the right to execute. So it was not about the money. And someone was always rising up to revolt against this. But Rome would swoop in and crush them quickly. In fact, you can read in history. In fact, just 25 years prior to this encounter that Jesus is having with them, a man named Judas of Galilee rose up, revolted against this tax, and Rome, Josephus, the historian, Josephus records that Rome executed him. And then to make an example, these are the things that were happening, crucified. So you need to realize Jesus was not, it wasn't like, oh, no, no one's ever been crucified. Romans crucified people all the time. They executed him and they crucified 2,000 Jews who joined him in the insurrection. So to say that this was a hated, divisive, hot-button topic is a huge understatement. So now with that context in place, what do I mean by don't do to Jesus what he refused to do to himself? Here's what I mean because here's what he did. 
He answers their question with a question, which he's fond of. He does it a lot in the Gospels. He answers their question with a question, but here's what that question did. That shatters, that shatters their simple categories and refuses to be pushed into one human camp or tribe or viewpoint regarding hot button political issues. You see, in their mind, there were only two ways to answer this question, and both would ruin him. Only two possible answers, because that's the two groups that were rumbling around in their day. Both would ruin him, though. They expected him to either be a revolutionary and say, stick it to the man. Do not pay. Are you kidding me? This guy's an egomaniac. He's an idolater. Every Caesar thought he was God, said he was God. They didn't want you just to obey them. They wanted you to worship them. You think we got it bad today? That was far worse. Every Caesar thought he was God. So they expected him to either rise up and be a revolutionary and say, do not pay that tax. Are you kidding me? Fund Rome and all their wickedness and all they're doing. Don't pay it. And Rome would swoop in. It would have been said publicly and crush him for them. Or he would be a compromiser who would say, yes, go ahead and pay the tax. We can do more together. We can work together. We can work with them. Pay the tax. And then he would fall out of favor with the crowd, the people, and lose all popularity as they turned away and said to each other, what? What? Why would he say that? I thought he was going to be the Messiah who would set up a new kingdom for us. I thought he was going to bring justice. Why would he say that? Either way, he'd be ruined. But Jesus refused to embrace either view. Now stay with me. Ready? Because he's always doing something bigger and better than what any one human camp or party or person could imagine or think. That was light on the amens. And here's what I think is going on, you guys. It's so hard for us to not think. If I think it, surely he would think it. This makes sense to me. Like, But you guys, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, does it tell us something about God? And is Jesus God? Yes, he's God. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And yet, why do we so often keep thinking my political thoughts capture perfectly his thoughts and his ways? Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm so hoping you'll hear what I'm saying and not hear what I'm not saying today. I don't mind getting pushback on what I actually said. But it's like people have filters today that are just like, ah, and some of you, they're going off now. And so you're just not going to hear rightly what I say. Oy, please, what are the implications for us today? Well, I see and I hear Christians talk as if they are fully convinced. Fully, no doubt. For a minute, if Jesus were here today, he would have the same bumper sticker on his Buick that they have. Buick's kind of middle of the road, not too expensive, not too cheap. He would drive a Buick. 
And there you go. I've got America in there for you. Buick. Not Toyota. He would have the same bumper sticker on his car that you do. He would support the same view you do. He would read the same blogs you do, listen to the same podcast you do. He would even canvas neighborhoods together with you. And when the front door opened, he would say, come to me. And when you do, you'll vote for them. Because we are one and the same. It's a package deal. Now think, think about it. Think long and hard. If you come to me, you vote for them because Christianity is Jesus plus this particular party or candidate. Give me your life. Give them your vote. But that's not how Jesus talked then. And I don't think it's how Jesus would talk today, my friends. Instead of a simple yes, no answer. He gives them a balanced both and answer, which was not what they were looking for. But it captures so much better the world of human politics, which we've got to acknowledge are being led by less than perfect men and women who are making less than perfect decisions and less than perfect proposals. Jesus, here's what I actually think. I think it's going to happen to me a lot on all kinds of issues, views that I held and things that I thought I understood perfectly. When we're in his presence, when we get to heaven, I think we're going to just be like, oh, wow. The first big wow is who's there you didn't think was going to be there. Who's not you were sure was in. Remember in Matthew 7, he said, whoo, there are going to be people that say, Lord, did we not? Did we not? Did we not? And he'll say, I never knew you. And then that person you've ruled out, you're like, not in a million years, will be there. And you're like, so the first thing's going to be, what? You? But after you get over that, it's going to be some of our views. If Jesus were here today, I think we would be shocked about what he would do or say about any of our political parties and candidates right now he would not say don't vote just bow out there's no perfect party so don't get involved it's not what he would say but I don't think he would choose to ignore all the problems with that just to say this is the only one for Christians I think we'd be shocked what he would do and say regarding any of our parties and our candidates so now here's another one of these don't hear what I'm not saying ready I prayerfully And I carefully read and dig and think through each candidate and each party. What's their platform? What do they believe? What do they propose to do? What do they think is most important? I carefully and prayerfully think it through with candidates and parties. You should too as a Christian. It's a privilege to be an American and vote. That we don't live in a land with a dictator. Prayerfully, carefully think it through. Which, and here's what I think through, which candidate I think would most align with biblical principles and would promote the flourishing of human beings, that human beings could flourish. You realize government is not like outside of God. God, God thought of government. Read Romans 13. It's part, it's actually an extension of his hand to help people flourish and to keep, to minimize chaos and safety. So government is good. God is in government. And it was designed to help human beings flourish. So you think through. You pray. And and 
I always find myself, well, I wish, the, I wish not that, but I do. And I wish not that, but I, but I make a decision because I think it matters. And I vote. And I want to make a difference. So you prayerfully and carefully think through. Here's what I don't think enough of us are doing. I vote. And then I hold my personal view and convictions with a hand of humility. And I choose to believe that another brother or sister who loves Jesus as much as or more than I do. Aren't we supposed to take a position of humility, consider others better? Instead of like, well, someone who's brand new Christian and really is clueless and doesn't know their Bible, they could do that, but not real. That's what we like to do. Not real Christians, no real Christian. I hold it with a hand of humility and I choose, even though it might be hard for me, to believe that another brother or sister who loves Jesus as much as or more than I do could prayerfully and carefully vote differently. I think that's what Jesus would have us do, you guys. Now, if someone asks me my opinion, I'm happy to tell them why I do what I do. I'm happy to instruct, but it's not our job to come swooping in and try to convince every other believer to do exactly what you're doing. Think about it. I know politics, it's hot, but he doesn't say to do that regarding alcohol. Some say no alcohol, great personal choice for many kinds of reasons, but the Bible doesn't say it's a sin, so some drink in moderation. It literally says in Romans 14, don't judge that person doing different than you and don't despise that person. Don't judge, don't despise, love them, love them. School choice, right? There's some that are like, oh my goodness, there's only one choice, homeschool. That's not what the Bible teaches. I choose not to judge anyone who makes a different school choice. I could go on and on. Halloween is coming up. Some Christians, to the glory of God, participate. They're in there. I don't have an arrow through my head. I don't kill a goat in our yard. But I'm out there in my neighborhood. Because I'm meeting neighbors I never see the rest of the year. That just the garage goes down and up and boom. And now they're in their driveway. Especially here. I've never lived here where, where it's so big with people out grilling brats. And talking to you. adults are at the end of their driveway. I'm going to be there. I'm not going to turn the lights out and find a Christian church alternative where we throw a beanbag in Jonah's well's mouth. And I want everyone in my neighborhood to know, bad. But if you personally don't think you should be a part of it, great. Don't judge those who choose. To. There's a reason Romans 14 is in the Bible. And that day, their hot button issue was, should I eat meat that had been offered to an idol? And some Christians were like, are you kidding me? No way. You can't eat meat that was offered to an idol. And other Christians were like, cheap meat. <laughs> it, it was sold half off in the marketplace because guess what? Idols can't eat. So it would sit there in the bowl and they would grab it before maggots started to get it and they would sell it. And Christians were like, we've never had meat. We're so poor. We're eating meat to the glory of God because we know idols are nothing. That can't get on us. There's nothing in that meat. That's a, and oh man, they were going after it with each other. And Paul doesn't say, meat eating Christians help these silly, weak Christians eat meat. Nope. Non meat eaters judge those who do and say, how can you do it? Instead, he says, love each other. And here's why I'm bringing this not because I don't care what happens in our nation, I care deeply. Because, but, but guys, you need to realize. 
If what happens in our nation is that even secular people realize Christians actually hate each other. I knew they hated me and judged me, and now it looks like they hate each other. All they are is haters. I'm not interested in Jesus. The greatest apologetic to even consider Christianity, he did not say, would be your political view or your end time charts. He said it would be your what for each other? They would say, how do you do this? You mean you got people from different political parties in the same church and they can love each other? Yep. Yep. That's what's supposed to happen. But it doesn't happen until you have a hand of what? Did anyone hear me? A hand of what? I know it's hard to say. Humility. Humility. Right now, we're living in a day that everyone acts like, oh, no, no, don't show any humility. Be confident, be confident, be confident, or we'll never get it done. We've got to read our Bibles, you guys. Hand of humility. Hand of humility. And that leads to my second point. Number two, don't buy into our culture of extremes. You realize we live in a day of extremes now. Just extremes. And Jesus was not into human extremes. Ever. Ever. And so letter A, don't check out and say it doesn't matter. So if you're here and you're saying that's the problem, Brad, there is no perfect party, so I don't even vote. I would say bad. That's not what we're supposed to do. Don't check out. They had people in that day. That's the choice they made. They were called the Essenes. You ever heard that word? They checked out on life. They checked out on culture. They huddled up. They looked for desert and they just huddled up together. Us four, no more. Us four, no more. And we're going to stay away from wicked Roman culture and we're just waiting it out till Jesus, the Messiah, comes. They did not engage. That's not what he's called us to do. That's not what he's called us to do at all. And we face the same temptation. I know it's disheartening. I know it's disheartening to vote and not see it go the way you... I know after a while you're like, does it make a difference when I write my letter, when I have a conversation, when I... I do all these things. But I don't always see the results that I would have hoped for. But I'm supposed to stay engaged. He's called me to engage. Don't stop praying. Don't stop loving. Don't stop being involved. Even run for office. I love it that we have Christians in office. So don't hear what I'm not saying. Please stay engaged. Because that matches what Jesus told us. In the Sermon on the Mount. You just don't see Essene thinking in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5. What did he say? You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be destroyed? It's not good for anything but be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill. He's like, so don't put it under a basket. Get it. Two things I want you to understand from that, that moment in his sermon. He calls us to be salt and light. Now you think for a minute, in that day, salt was not primarily about adding flavor to the food. They had no refrigeration. It was about delaying decay, keeping meat and stuff from decaying. Do you realize he intends for us to slow down the decay? Do you think our world is getting rotten, worse and worse and worse, dark and immoral? I do. We're supposed to be the salt. Get in there in a regular community and don't say, oh, I wish I could just live on a street with all Christians. I wish you would read your Bible. Stay on the street where there's awkward conversations. Stay on this. I'm in a new place, right? 
I'm meeting people who live together. Is that a sin? Yeah. Well, that was a week too. Goodness gracious. How many things do I need to reteach? Yes. I've already encountered people, same-sex people living there. There's all kinds of things I'm meeting on my street, right? But they're people created in the image of God. And so he's brought the big knees to that street to be salt. I got to get up next to it. I got to go to the clubhouse. I got to get involved. They're going to do a Halloween thing. I'm going to take my grandson. They're going to do a Christmas party just for our end of the street. I'm going to show up, even if it's awkward, and be there. Salt. We're supposed to be in the marketplace in a normal gym, on a normal street, salt, and then light. What good is light if you just huddle up? We are light. Oh, look at all that darkness. So glad we're not dark, we're light. It does no good. Light wasn't supposed to huddle up with light and condemn the darkness. Let him condemn the darkness. He's called us to get in it for his glory. And you might think it does little good, this little bit of light, oh my word, what? Let him do the heavy lifting. I'm getting in there. I'm light. I'm salt. I'm light. I'm salt. Check out is not what he's called us to do. That's not the answer. But oh, there's another danger. Let her be. The temptation is to check out or freak out. Instead of a middle ground, don't freak out and say, let's go to war. Don't freak out. And say, let's go to war. You realize the Jerusalem. And what I love about the Bible and everything it's doing is nothing new under the sun, you guys. I know you think this is the scariest time. It's actually not the scariest time the Christians have ever lived in. Some of the things that are happening with people are similar to things that have already happened. You realize the Jerusalem Talmud. It's not inspired, but it's a book that exists. Mentions no less than 24 sects. Not S-E-X. Settle down. S-E-C-T-S, no less than 24 sects that were committed to armed revolt against Rome. They had hideouts in the hills where they stashed swords and daggers and spears. There was even an elite hit squad of assassins called the Sicarii that would slip into large gatherings and crowds with daggers and stab religious not religious, Roman leaders. And in the press of the crowd, nothing would be noticed at first. And then when a crowd steps out and the body falls to the ground, everyone was like, ah! But they've got time to get away. They would slip in and stab and kill Roman leaders and also kill Jews who they felt like collaborated with Rome. Now, I don't know of any Christian hit squad yet. I don't know of any Christian hit squad yet. But I am seeing and hearing Christians talk and act in very inflammatory ways that I do not think represents Jesus well at all. And our secular culture has taken note of it. As people are now bringing religious-like devotion and frenzy, frenzy into their politics, the economist called it, quote, America's new religious war. Now, let me, let me help you for a minute think through, has politics always been controversial? Yes. yes. I mean, there's been that saying that we all know, don't talk about religion or politics. So it's always been around that it was contentious. It could kind of get awkward in a crowd. But you guys, 
What has made it go from a simple conflict to an all-out war? Let me help you a minute. I'll tell you what's happened. It's the level of fear and frenzy and rage that surrounds it now. Secular people are bringing it, but sadly so are Christians. And guess what that's an indication of? We're the church that teaches this. Whenever something has high highs and low lows, you get very angry if it's threatened, very depressed if you think it won't happen, very anxious, and you attack anyone who gets in your way. What, is, what are all those emotions usually surrounding? That thing is very likely a what? I'm so encouraged. <laughs> Here's what I believe, you guys. The level of rhetoric and rage and war is an indication. Again, I don't want to step away from politics. As long as I'm an American, as long as I have breath, I'm going to keep being involved and write and call and vote. But I do not want politics to be an idol for me. And if you have found it almost impossible to sleep, to have peace, to talk about something else, I'm facing it in counseling regularly where it's interesting you know you think how many women think i just wish i had a husband that would talk to me and 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 it's coming up we're like and she won't even talk to me i want to talk to her and she won't even talk to me here's why i don't meet with any one person alone you're never hearing the whole truth the last thing this has happened if i was by myself in you know wendy's i'm thinking poor guy he wants to talk to his wife he's a talking guy when he took a breath she said yeah Let me tell you, all he wants to talk about is politics, and he's so angry. I would like to talk, yes, to him about something else. What's Jesus say? Out of the abundance of the heart, what? If that's all you want to talk about, and you're angry. If that's all you want to think about. If that's what's keeping you from sleep, joy, and peace, it just might have shifted from a good thing that God gave us in America that's part of his extension of his arm to reduce chaos and to cause humans to flourish to an idol. The level of emotions and war surrounding politics now is an indication that it is now one of our top idols in America. The majority of our land, think about it, now puts their hope in politics to solve everything. Every big problem will be solved by politics. My identity will be promoted by politics. I'll have greater freedom and I'll get what I want. It's all coming back to politics. But as Christians, we're not supposed to get sucked into idolatry politics. Idolatry anything. Yes, vote. Yes, get involved. Ready? Then sleep well and love others well, especially those who think and vote differently than you. How could you do that? Because we trust in King Jesus, which somebody act like it, that we think there's someone greater in control that's ruling and reigning. And that leads to my final point. Number three, don't lose sight of who's really in control. Don't lose sight of who's really in control. Look at what he says in verse 24 again. Show me a denarius. Show me a denarius. The crowd rustles around. Someone pulls one out of their pocket, gives it to him. Whose likeness and description is on it? Some translations say, whose image 
is on it. Now, here's what you might miss in our culture. In that day, it was rare that someone had the right to mint coins. And here's what was understood. If you had the right to mint coins, you had coinage. You had the right. It was, it was one and the same to require taxes. If you're big enough and bad enough and have authority to mint your own coins, you can require taxes. Whose image, whose likeness and inscription is on it? And you need to even realize when he held up that denarius, do you realize what it said? It had Caesar's face on it and it said Tiberius Caesar, son of the God Augustus, Pontifex Maximus, high priest. He's an egomaniac. He's an idolater. He thinks he's God. He's got it on his money. But Jesus nonetheless still says basically this. When he said, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's, he's saying this coin has the image and likeness of Caesar on it. It belongs to him. He minted it. Give it back to him. You have the stamp and image of God on you. You belong to him. So watch this. Give Caesar your money. Give me your life. All of it. In other words, Jesus is saying... What you do, now don't hear me saying it doesn't matter at all what you do with your money. I've done other sermon series, right? But as far as priorities, Jesus is saying, what you do with your money is not nearly as, as important as what you do with your life. Who you give your very life to is what matters most. Give him your money. Give me your life. All of it. And even then you're thinking, to what extent? Oh, he's already pressed this. Jesus didn't wait long at all to actually tell them what he really wanted. Every other religious leader, scribe, right, would have a following and have people sit at their feet and he would teach them. And he wants them to know what he thinks and what he says and, and to revere him. Jesus didn't wait long at all to let the crowd know what he really wanted and what matters most. And it shocked them. All the way back in Luke chapter 9, we saw it. In Luke chapter 9, he shocked the crowd when he said this. If anyone would come after me, be ready to sit at my feet, be my disciple, follow me, revere me, memorize some of the things I say. Not what he said. If anyone would come after me, let him, say it, deny himself, take up his cross. How often? Daily. Daily. And follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, and he's not talking about a martyr, whoever loses his life for my sake, you stop holding on to your life. You stop protecting you. You stop promoting you. You stop being so worried about, am I getting what I want? Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what would it profit a man or woman to gain the whole world? yet lose his soul. What's he talking about right here? If you've been around older Christians like I have, some, you know, I grew up in the South, there were a lot of Christians. You might have heard your grandparents talking away like, well, that's just her cross to bear. She has that difficult husband. Or that's just his cross to bear. He has that health issue. 
I can appreciate what they're saying. God will give us some things that sometimes we have to bear, but that's not what this passage, when he says, take up your cross, it's not like I'll take up this woman and I'll live with her. I got this supervisor. It's my cross to bear. Not what he's talking about. He's not talking about our circumstances. You realize he's talking about you denying self, your very essence as you identify. See what we've got going on now is identity politics. Me and this party and me and what they think are one and the same. He's talking about denying self and beginning to identify with the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That characterizes me most. I'm in Christ. I'm a follower of Christ. Not a particular party, not a sports team, not an idea I have about something else. Nothing else was supposed to capture as well and be as important as my identity is in Christ. And that changes how you see your circumstances and what's going on. In other words, you die to your agenda for your own life and what you think makes you, you. And I live for somebody else. I live for somebody else. And oh, it's so It's so helpful. When I live for somebody else and I realize I belong to somebody else, guess what you can do? It's his job to take care of me. I don't have to work so hard to take care of myself. I mean, it might sound silly, but even on my stuff, my house, my grass, even like when we thought it was going to die, it's like, God, it's your sod. God, that's your sod. I would love for it to live. God, that's your house. God, I'm yours. I'm yours. And so one of my favorite phrases, when I think I'm not getting what I would do for me, he'll give me what I need. He'll give me, he's good, he's way better than me. He'll give me what I need. I belong to him. I don't have to wake up every day thinking so much about me and what I'm getting or not getting. Notice he doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say in Luke 9, take up my example. Take up my advice. He says, take up your cross. In other words, every day, every day, try to help and fight you getting in the way, you becoming paramount, your agenda becoming top priority. Take up your cross daily. Follow me. It's what Paul was talking about in the book of Colossians chapter three, when he said, if you then, he's talking to Christians in Colossae, if you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. Again, it doesn't mean check out and have nothing to do with politics. But as I vote, as I read, as I pray, as I stay engaged, my mind is still set on something higher that balances us out and helps me sleep well. This is not my only kingdom. This is not my final resting place. I will not be here long. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of earth. Oh, look at this. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's security. There's assurance. There's something to rest in. And then I love that he says this, not when Christ one day will be your life, because right now your life is the kids. Right now your life is this political party. Right now your life is this career. When Christ who, what's the verb? Is your life appears, then you'll appear with him. Christ is supposed to be our life, not politics, not our kids, not your boyfriend, not your career, not your retirement account. He owns us. Let her be. He reigns over us. 
so you can trust him. He reigns over us so you can trust him. Oh, listen, Jesus acknowledged the authority of the state when he said, pay your poll poll tax. But do you realize he never said anything ever about Christians taking control of the Roman Empire? And then you go on and read the New Testament and you won't find a whisper. You will not find a whisper from any writer to believers saying, now make sure, make sure, make sure, make sure. If you really want to make a difference, if you really want to see real change in our world, if you really want to see big things happen, you must do it politically. Politics is our only hope. Does not say it. Again, please don't hear what I'm not saying. Should you vote? Should you even consider running for office and making a difference? Yes. Should you write letters when a decision is being made? If someone asks you, should you tell them what your view is on it? Yes. Hey, can you help me understand? I'm struggling with this. What did you do? What are your thoughts? Yes, 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 yes. But nowhere does it say we'll never see this world come to faith in Christ if we don't all get totally about politics because that's our only hope. You don't see it. You don't see it. In fact, think about that because his kingdom's an upside down kingdom. He actually said in John 18, my kingdom is not of this world. Upside down kingdom when it comes to power and influence. You realize the reason men and women want to get elected is they want to make a difference. And so on a human level, men and women can make little difference and do little good until they get elected and have power. Jesus did the most good. You realize that? The most good when he set aside his rights, gave up all power, and went to a cross to die for us. This is a radically different upside down kingdom. Now, you, you say, and what happened? Oh, some amazing things happened. But he didn't do it in a human way using human power and human initiatives and human structures. Go with me as we close to Philippians 2. And let me show you what is going on now because Jesus gave up his rights, let go of power, and laid down his life. Here's what now is in place that I love. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. He's writing believers, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he didn't just kept holding on to his privileges and rights. He set it all aside. But made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here we go, verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ not will be right now say it is what Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory 
of God the Father. Some of us need to bring that back into view. Jesus being Lord right now is more important than any political party being in the White House. He's Lord. He's King. Now. Now. So here's what I want you to think about. And I'm going to sound like a broken record. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Do I want you to vote? Don't want you to get involved. But the most political, you know, we, we tend to think, let's be politically active. Let me give you a fresh one. The most politically active thing we could do for each other, I think, is remind each other that Jesus is Lord and King right now. And so because he, you ready? Because he reigns, we can remain calm in the midst of cultural chaos. Calm in the midst of political chaos. Oh, there's one more. Calm in the midst of Christian confusion. Jesus is, say it, Lord. Lord. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you that you're... You're in control and you are ruling and reigning. Thank you that you gave us government to help human beings flourish. And so, oh God, I pray you'd show us what this looks like in dark, decaying days to make a difference, to think, to pray, to vote, to engage, and yet to hold all of this in a hand of humility and to not go to war against other brothers and sisters, to not even go to war against unbelievers, but to be gentle, merciful, gracious, loving, just like our Savior. Lord, use us in the midst of these days for your glory, but keep us focused on what's more important, not convincing someone to vote like us, but convincing someone that Jesus is God and solved our biggest problem, pushing them to look at Jesus again, read the gospels. Have you considered Jesus? Do you know who he is? Don't just quote what you heard at university. Have you ever read the gospels? Have you examined Jesus and who he is? Keep us focused on the main thing. Use us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.